welcome to Positively Pro-Life podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramal Tenney, the Education Director of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, and I'm joined by Maria Gallagher, a Legislative Director who is co-hosting with me today. Welcome, Maria, to the podcast. Thanks so much, Remo. It's great to be with you today. You know, this month we are celebrating sanctity of human, sanctity of human life, and uh, we're continuing to observe that. And today we are going to be talking about open adoptions, a way to hold life sacred through the gift of generosity, both from the birth mother to the adoptive family. Now, it is estimated that there are over 2 million couples in the U.S. who are waiting to adopt, and yet only 18,000 infants are placed for adoption each year. So to give you a little comparison, abortion numbers in Pennsylvania alone in the year 2021 was over 34,800. For a woman in an unexpected pregnancy, her options often seem limited. And for many, it feels like they have to choose between abortion or parenting, and it usually means parenting as young single mothers. Well, there is not as much of a stigma attached to adoption these days, there is still a gap that needs to be bridged between the pregnant mother and the idea of adoption. But when do we start that conversation, and how can we stand in that gap? Today, to discuss that with us is Terry Mockroft from Unplanned Good. But first, here's Maria with her update on the pro-abortion effort to repeal a time-tested abortion center regulation law. Remmel, how did Pennsylvania's Planned Parenthood mark the 51st anniversary of Roe versus Wade? Would you believe they are pushing for an end to the health and safety regulations enacted in the wake of serial killer Kermit Gosnell? In a truly bizarre commemoration, Planned Parenthood joined with pro-abortion state lawmakers to hold a news conference to rally for the rescinding of abortion center regulations. The Pennsylvania legislature enacted the regulations specifically as a response to abortionist Kermit Gosnell's reign of terror in West Philadelphia. A grand jury suspected that Gosnell killed hundreds, if not thousands, of newborn babies by snipping their spinal cords. Prosecutors could only charge him with a handful of cases because he destroyed so many records. Gosnell is now serving three consecutive life terms for the murders of three babies. He was also convicted of involuntary manslaughter in connection with the death of female immigrant patient Karnamaya Mangar. At the time of his violent crime spree, Gosnell's House of Horrors abortion facility had not been inspected in 17 years. As the grand jury noted, pro-abortion politics had halted regular abortion center inspections. Now, before the regulations went into effect, hair and nail salons received greater scrutiny than abortion facilities. Numerous abortion facilities ultimately closed their doors because they either could not or would not meet basic health and safety standards. And now the abortion industry wants to do away with common sense regulations. 
The push to eliminate Pennsylvania's time-tested law demonstrates that the abortion industry is not about women's health. It's about increasing abortion, no matter what the cost. Remmel. That is a very tragic update, but uh, we are fighting it. And uh, I think I read somewhere recently that there were about 179 inspections that had failed in uh, in, in the state of Pennsylvania uh, for a number of years now. So that um, I think that's very important for us to recognize that this an abortion center, they, they still do surgical abortions. And so it must be treated with the same regulations as other places um, uh, that other healthcare industries. Now, um, it's been a while since we have done an inspiration segment, but today I just felt uh, like I should share this with you because this was uh, this made my my entire week. Um, there were two things that came that I came across on social media uh, this past week. One was a report about Iceland and Denmark. Um, boasting of a near 100% elimination of Down syndrome. And how was that done? Of course, through abortions. There is no other way that you can completely eliminate Down syndrome. And the other thing that I came across was a video of a man uh, named Troy Drake. Now, he's a man with born with Down syndrome, mm -hmm. and yet he has made a life for himself uh, through a flourishing business uh, of pottery. Now, how I came across this video is uh, I was looking for uh, Christmas ornaments, and he makes pottery clay uh, uh, Christmas ornaments. And apparently, they all sold out within four minutes uh, from his online store. So uh, that's how popular he is. And I and so I just looked up his story and wanted to see where he's coming from and what his parents' story was with uh, when he was born. So. I found a video and this is what it says. Now his parents, his mom, uh, shares, shares this on that video. About, a, about an hour after he was born, the doctors came into our room and told us they suspected Troy had Down syndrome. He has 47 chromosomes instead of the typical 46. What they didn't tell us that day was that there was magic in that extra chromosome. Like with any newborn, the doctors couldn't predict Troy's future. When Troy was born, the doctors couldn't tell us that one day Troy would have a business called Troy Made It, where his pottery pieces would sell out within minutes. The doctors couldn't tell us that one day Troy would donate over $25,000 to nonprofit organizations who are changing the world. Or that he would have an Instagram account with over 32,000 followers who love, encourage, and are inspired by Troy. And they go on to say that their hope is that new parents who are starting their journey would see Troy and know that their child has a, has a bright future with unlimited possibilities. And this was one of the most touching parts um, where his mom said that they know that they can't change the way Troy speaks or change the way his brain works. But what they can do as parents is to show the world that Troy's life matters, that Troy's life has value, and that Troy is making the world a better place. Now, that video ends with a picture of him. And anyone who sees that picture of him in a shirt that says, who would have thought I'd, be, I'd grow up to be awesome at pottery, but here I am killing it. Um, um, that is, I thought that was wonderful, but uh, I think we, anyone who sees him would 
couldn't agree more that the world is a better place with Troy in it. So uh, check out his story. Uh, he is on Instagram as well as uh, he has an Etsy page. You can go on there and check out um, what he has to offer. But babies with Down syndrome can surprise you a lot. And I hope that serves as your inspiration for today. Now, coming to our interview today, uh, our guest is Terry Mockroft, who is an adoptive mom and founder of Unplanned Good an organization that promotes adoption as a viable and reasonable option for those dealing with unplanned pregnancies. She has authored a book, Pro-Family, Pro-Adoption, A Christian's Guide to Unplanned Pregnancy Options, and this is to help evaluate options available to a pregnant woman in a crisis. So, Terry, welcome to Positively Pro-Life. Randall, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's it's uh it's pretty amazing that you have a book that talks about all of the options present to uh, pregnant women, especially uh, those who are uh, in a in who are in an unplanned pregnancy. So, can you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to write this book? Sure. Um, so actually, I've I've written two books on this subject, and the first one was called Pro Choice Pro Adoption because I was trying to have a communication, have a talk with the pro-choice people and explain, you know, not from a religious standpoint, just from a practical standpoint, why they would want to consider a, a adoption over abortion. And so, and that led to um, the conclusion that I made, which was that I just also needed to have a book that was speaking specifically to Christians and just unleashed all the power of scripture and just went for it with the whole, uh, with that whole perspective. Um, but the reason I wrote the book was mainly, um, you know, not only my, my stance on adoption and feeling that it's an extremely uh, beautiful option, although it's certainly difficult, you know, it's not an easy thing for a woman to choose. And so I would never want to sugarcoat that. It's certainly a challenging decision. And um, the women who make that decision and make an adoption plan look back on it and say it was the most difficult time of their life, but it was also the most beautiful time of their life. And they're grateful for the decisions that they made. And so just sharing some of the reasons why someone would want to choose adoption was the reason I wrote the book. And there's a lot of information that is not out there in the public arena. So that was my real key goal was to get some of that information out there. And I'm wondering, how has adoption changed over the years? Hugely, like 180 degrees. It's completely flipped from where it was about 25 years ago. So if you like maybe call it the year 2000 or so when things really changed way back in the 1970s and 80s, most adoptions were closed and meaning that um, the woman who was unexpectedly pregnant often was forced into the adoption, you know, by her parents who didn't want the neighbors to know or didn't want word to get out in town and they wanted to keep it quiet. So they sent her off to a relative in a distant state forced her to place for adoption, and then brought her back afterwards and said, don't ever talk about this again. Just forget about it. And uh, we realized, I think, over the, the, the decades after that, how unhealthy that entire picture was because uh, the woman was not empowered to make her own choices. And she also didn't have the opportunity to grieve 
the loss of her child. And she also didn't have the opportunity to weigh in on the decisions about who are the parents going to be, where are they going to live, what faith are they, what age are they, what kind of home do they have, you know, all of those things. So that's why adoption has changed completely into being much more open now. And the woman who chooses adoption now in 2024 is choosing it of her own free will. And beyond that, she's choosing the parents. She's choosing uh, the type of home that she wants her baby raised in. She's choosing the faith that she wants her baby raised in. And she might even be choosing whether or not uh, the baby has siblings. You know, if the if the couple hasn't had children up until now, um, that was a factor actually in our in in our adoption. So uh, there, she she's empowered to make a lot of the choices herself, and so that's why it's a completely different dynamic today. Uh, as I was reading your website, I came across this piece of information that less than 1% of girls facing unplanned pregnancy choose adoption. Why do you think that is? So that's a good question. I believe that it's a combination of uh, lack of awareness, you know, that, that this is an option. You don't have just two choices. You have three. So lack of awareness and then also lack of information. Um, not realizing how uh, empowered she would be to direct that process and make a lot of the decisions on her own. So between not being aware and not knowing how it works, women default to either choosing abortion or parenting, even though they may not be at all equipped to parent. Because, yeah, I mean, it's extremely hard if you don't have a partner, you don't have a career, you don't have... And education, you know, is is extremely difficult. And so, um, between awareness and education, I think that's that's probably the answer to more women choosing it. And how do adoption agencies come alongside women who are unexpectedly pregnant? Uh, well, when they connect, when the when the young woman, when the woman um, who's pregnant is choosing an adoption agency to work with. For one thing, she has a lot of different choices because there are many adoption agencies in almost every metro area now. So she can choose one that handles the type of adoption she thinks she wants. And uh, so once she connects with an adoption agency, then that agency most likely has a qualified, certified social worker on staff. And then that person can literally take her hand and walk her through all of the different prospective adoptive couples who are ready and waiting in her area. And so she can look at all these profiles. You know, when we did it, they were little brochures and now they're all online, but she can walk through dozens and dozens of prospective couples if she wants to, and just keep going until she finds a couple that she feels she connects with and that she clicks with. She doesn't even have to articulate why is that connection, but she can wait until she has that connection and she feels comfortable with that couple. And then the adoption agency, and most of them are just really big hearted and they're in it for the work. Most of the adoptive professionals I've met in my entire career are very much um, looking out for the best interests of everybody involved for the most part. A lot of them are working for nonprofit adoption agencies, so they're not um, they're not even paid very well, but they're doing great work. So they'll take her through and make sure that she finds the right kind of match that she's comfortable with and then let her know, 
what what's involved in the process. You know, her medical expenses should be paid for. She's entitled to counseling. She's entitled to a lawyer. She's entitled to change her mind right up until the very end of the um, adoption process being finalized in court. So they they need they educate each woman about what's happening and what decisions she has in front of her. So talking about open adoptions, um, we have come a long way from those closed adoptions where the mother didn't know who had the child uh, to a place where they can one choose um, the couple that the baby would would be uh, living with, and and then you also have people who continue that relationship um th- beyond the adoption right so um how common is that nowadays and uh, what are the advantages to it um challenges to it so the today now in 2024 about 95% of the infant adoptions are open on some level and it's helpful if we think about open adoption as a continuum so no two adoptions are the same they can all be very different depending on what everybody is comfortable with because you work that out through discussion together. But on one end of the continuum of an open adoption that's actually not at all very open, maybe it just means uh, sharing information. Maybe it just means that the adoptive family has the birth mother's name and address and phone number. They just have that information even though they choose not to get in touch or she chooses not to get in touch with them. And then on the far end of the, the far other end of the continuum, you have uh, basically an extended family where the birth mother is actually involved with the adoptive family and they get together once in a while in person. You know, they might go out to dinner, they might even go on trips and there are a thousand different flavors in between. So most commonly it involves um, maybe contact at holidays. Maybe it's just a phone call. Maybe it's just a text. Maybe it's just sending photos. That's very, very likely. That's actually what we ended up doing. Um, Just so there are so many different possibilities, but the, the point of open adoption is just the transparency. And then you work out what's, what's comfortable for everyone involved. Can you walk us through the process of the open adoption? Because as you said, there, there are many misunderstandings, misconceptions, lack of information. Mm-hmm. The process of open adoption. Well, uh, you mean how it works in, in yes. practical life? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say that uh, the woman who's who's pregnant and considering making an adoption plan, she says to herself, I want to know where my baby ends up and I want to know that my baby is thriving. You know, not too sure about visits probably, but I do want to know where she is and uh, generally have a picture in my mind of what kind of faith and what kind of home life this, this, this prospective adoptive couple has. And so she can get all that information. And then, you know, none of us actually knows how we want to live our life 10 years from now. So all of us, have to be a little bit flexible about forging our path and accommodating the people in our lives, right? So, but that going back to that pregnant woman, she might just say, I want some information because I want, I want to feel um satisfied and comforted that my baby's doing well. That's her primary objective most often. She just wants to know that things are good with her baby. 
because the reason she's choosing adoption is so that her baby will be provided for in a way that she can't do right now. And so, um, so that's kind of, that's the, that's the, that's the approach that most people take. They go into it with just wanting to have a bit of transparency and um, it, it replaces all of the old days where everything was quite secretive and it was just a big black hole of non-information and no clues about what was happening. So now to have things out in the open, to shine a light on the situation uh, makes, makes, especially makes the birth mother feel better because she can get that peace of mind. But there are also benefits of open adoption for the adoptive parents too. Because being able to answer your child's questions is empowering. <laughs> uh, I, I went through that with my own daughter, you know, and when the question that she asks when she's two years old is different from the question she asked when she's 12 years old. And because we were connected with her birth mother, we could answer those. We could answer them honestly. And then in turn, that helped our relationship. Because if your relationship is an honest one, you have a better chance of being trusted, being able to advise later on when things get challenging. So there's a lot of benefit to, to open adoption from almost all perspectives. Yeah, there is a there is a freedom that truth brings, right? Like an empowerment exactly. that you have uh, when, when there is honesty and transparency. Um, now, uh, as I was watching one of the videos on your website, I, I noticed you say something about how the seeds of, of the idea of adoption can be planted in young minds, not when they're in the crisis, but before they, they're even there. So can you tell a little bit about that? So that's actually a very new project that we're working on. Uh, so you're, you're very up to date there. Um, we're working now on some policy uh, changes because as we started out this conversation, when a woman's facing an unplanned pregnancy, that's in her mind, that's a crisis mode. And it's extremely difficult to take in new information and learn about something new when you're in crisis mode. And so that's the reason to educate people about the adoption option before the crisis hits. So what we're advocating for now with some of the state legislatures that we're working with is to put it into the health ed classes. So if you're talking about contraception, you're talking about STDs, you're talking about you know, whatever else goes into the health and sex classes, you also should be educating about adoption so that women know it's an option at a time when they're able to hear you and able to learn. And then later, hopefully they'll, they'll remember, okay, I did learn about how adoption works today. Maybe I, maybe that would be right for us. How do you respond to a woman who fears what will become of her child after an adoption? If that is a big fear that's driving her um, as she's trying to make her decision, she fears what will become of her child, then I would strongly encourage her to go for a, a fully open adoption so that she will be um, she will be comforted, she'll be informed, and then she'll know what's happening. And um, sometimes people don't really understand what that means. And so it does require some education about what, how an open adoption works. It is not co-parenting because that is taking everything to quite the extreme. It's not co-parenting because the adoptive parents are still making all the decisions. Um, but it is inclusive. 
it does help to just acknowledge that birth mother for the role that she played in giving that child life and respecting her for it. You know, honoring her and respecting her and uh, just letting her have that have that role, have that position. Uh, that is a very important distinction that you just made there because one of the questions now, uh, that I have is, I'm going to flip this around and uh, uh, what about the adoptive family? Like when they have, when they are opening themselves up to uh, an adoption where the, the birth mother is involved, um, what are their rights and their boundaries? Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? That uh, You want to hear about the adoptive family in an open adoption. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, they, their rights are full parental rights like any other parent would have because they are the legal guardians. They are the legal parents. And so that is 100% the same as any other parent responsibility and rights. Um, the difference comes in just uh, allowing the birth mother to be a part of your life. So like I say, everybody's going to work out their own way to make that happen. In our case, it involved visits to see our birth mother who lived in a different state. And I took, I took my daughter to see her every other year until she was 18 and then said, okay, you two, you two go off into the sunset, you know, continue that relationship, make it what you want it to be. And, and did they? And they did. Yes. <laughs> so my daughter and her birth mother, they have each other's numbers in their cell phones and they can contact each other whenever they want to. But my daughter knows that she's my daughter. There, there's no question about that. It doesn't ever change. And um, her love for me is is not something that I've ever really worried about. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Because I'm sure that that sometimes there there are fears on on both sides about how it's going to work out. And uh, when people have that positive example, I'm sure it's very encouraging to them. <laughs> And we overcome those fears with education. Absolutely. Well, this has been a fascinating topic of conversation. And I'm so happy, Terry Marcroft, that you were able to join us today on Positively Pro-Life. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. I just really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Terry Marcroft is an adoptive mom and founder of Unplanned Good an organization that promotes adoption as a viable, reasonable option for those dealing with unplanned pregnancies. We thank her so much. And we wanna let you know that Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State with nearly 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, there is always a reason to choose life.